Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. How is everyone doing? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is Alex Gore. Lance Psycho is not here. We just had our Christmas party where we took everyone out on a limo ride and we went and we saw a whole bunch of cool projects. I'm sure if you follow us on Facebook or, or Twitter, you'll see some of those. I'm sure Lance will be posting them on the F9 Productions one. Maybe we'll put some on Inside the Firm. It was real fun. So every year we get a limo. Uh, take the guys out to the job sites and then do something cool. Uh, we even had a trophy this year for the winner of this year, and we uh, awarded it to to past people uh, just based off of the performances. Last year we went go kart racing, and Mark Pedler won that. The year before we went paintballing. I think it's consensus I won that. The year before we did something cool too. Uh, what did we do the year before that? I can't, I, I can't even remember. Um, uh, but every year we do something cool. And this year after, after driving around and seeing some awesome projects, we went to Dave and Buster's and I was kind of excited about it. But then after getting into some games and playing, I, I actually wish we could have stayed longer, uh, because it was super fun. So anyways, that's, I'm sitting here the next morning, we did this on a Thursday, and uh, going to put this podcast together. We have some awesome interviews, but before we get to that, I want to talk about two products that you should know about. One is BIMSmith. So BIMSmith is uh, basically, it's a website that has contact content, and then this product that they made, which is called BIMSmith Forge. So that's where you can make assemblies. Um, walls, floors, ceilings, you know, all that. I've, I've talked about that before, so I want to talk about the marketplace side. So if you haven't, if you don't know about that, the Forge side, go, you know, go to bimsmith.com or listen to our other podcasts or listen to our next podcast and we'll tell you about that again. But their marketplace. So they have a marketplace and they have a whole bunch of cool stuff uh, just from the get go. Uh, they have uh, turnstiles, they have, uh, yeah, cool. The um, revolving doors, uh, which are pretty awesome. They have decks, and I, I use Bimsmith. So one thing that we've used with them is they they have metal panels, standing seat metal metal panel panels. Uh, what's cool is it comes with the images, the bump maps, and when you click on there, you can also get the the product you know spec page. Uh, which is very cool. And I, I'm guessing, and I know it's probably true, that you could load these in to the forge part. So if you wanted to make your own wall assembly with the standing seam, you, you could. So go, go please check that out. Um, another thing you should check out if you haven't done already, and if you haven't done it already, God bless your soul. I don't know what you're doing. Enscape, because there's a free trial. It is 3D visualization of your projects. Um, it's very cool. It, you, you just have to download it, um, plug and play away, 
and and walk through your project it's 3d rendering so it's enscape3d.com go check that out so first uh we have interviews we have three interviews today uh we'll start with uh, i can't even talk robert wygant of bim smith then uh bill allen and we will end with aaron mailer so let's just get into it here's robert Hey, Bob. How's it going? Good, good. How about you, Alex? Good, good. Uh, so we've known each other for a while, peripherally, through emails and working together and all that. But let's start off. Why are you here at Autodesk U, not like in general, like philosophically? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, I'm at Autodesk University to, one, look for new opportunities, look for new technology. I mean, the new tech that you see here is insane. Yeah. Um, and you know these are my people these are my peers so it's nice to kind of take a month or you know a week out of the year to just spend it with everybody talking about what we did and you know what we're planning on doing and just you know getting together with like-minded people that's the beauty of the show yeah so i know you've been walking around have you seen anything that's particularly exciting to you or well i think the most exciting thing that i've seen so far came from the keynote which was um, Autodesk partnering with Unity, who is yeah. a game engine. Yeah, and, unexpected. Uh, no, no, I, I did not see that coming in any way because last year they had kind of released Revit Live, which is their kind of version of Unity. So you can make Revit into a game. And yeah. with their partnership with Unity, that's going to strengthen um, Unity, and it's going to strengthen Autodesk, and it's going to strengthen the VR aspect of BIM. Do you think Unity is is separate, or is there going to be a market competition between them and, let's say, Enscape or some of these other uh, programs? Wow, that's hard to say. I mean, it all depends on how Autodesk handles the relationship, and because I mean, because the way that it looks, I mean, I walked over to the Unity booth and took a look at it, and from what I saw, it's a, it's going to be built into Revit, so you're exporting to Unity from yeah. Revit, which is very, you know, I mean, it's not too far different than Enscape, but um, I think it's gonna give, you know, all of, the, all of the, the other VR companies a run for their money. I'm thinking Lumion, Enscape, I'm just trying to think of some of them. Yeah, I mean, Lumion, Enscape, um, I mean. Revisto? Uh, Re Revisto. Um, but I mean, the thing about Unity is their developer base. The number of, of developers out there that know Unity, that are, you know, they're just hobbyist game, gamers, now have an opportunity to do something more with that knowledge. So instead of making a little video game that, you know, they did in their spare time, they could actually put it to good use and, and start developing peripherally for Revit and the AEC. So not only are they building, you know, sort of their game tools, but they're actually meaningful to the industry and to people as a whole. I mean, think about it this way. With Unity, you'd be able to embed, um, you'd be able to embed any kind of, of uh, visualizer or viewer onto any website with an iframe. Yeah. So now you've got, and, and so you build it in Revit really quickly, yep. texture it all out, dump it out to Unity, and boom, it's on a website. And if, so I manage my own website, and I'm sure you know how, if you manage your own website, you could make a little tab that only they could access, your client, mm -hmm. and then with Unity, they could walk around in it. You don't That's even right. have to, yeah. That's right. So, you know, you'd be able to, in real time, walk through a project. And, you know, think about it this way. You know, you're, you're an architect. 
Yep. Which you are. Yes. Yep. Um, and you've got a project that you need to show to an owner, and you've got six stakeholders in a room. You throw an Oculus Go on every single one of their heads, and then you start showing them all of the items. And then as you're walking through, you know, you're able to use your hand controls and a HUD and, and just be able to change the cut, change the what floor is being used yeah. and change. You know, they say that they want, you know, Sherwin-Williams seafoam green. Uh, we done. want, you know, boom, it's done. It's on there. And then, you know, being able to document that back into the model in one shot. That's um, that's powerful stuff designed through VR, not just not just, uh, you know, a, an end game where look at look at what I've created. Check yeah. this out. It looks really cool. But actually being able to use it for design. Yep. One of the things that I think is cool about being here is they have their theme, and it, it's I might get it wrong, but more, better, less. Uh, those are the three words that they're talking about right now. Yeah. And and we've joked about you know less. It's 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 kind of funny, but it's making a lot of sense. I went to it was the automated automation and robotics session. Yeah. Um, sat in on that, and they were talking about. So I don't know how to program a robot. I could maybe figure it out, but it's going to take too much time. Sure. And, you know, robots can do a whole bunch of things like manufacturers. So one of these uh, companies called Mimic, M-I-M-I-C. Mm -hmm. So basically in Maya, they made the robot. If you can learn Maya, which shouldn't, for architects or anyone that uses programs, okay, it'll take you a couple days, you'll figure it out, right? You can move the robot around in Maya and then have it do whatever you're doing. So the, the less concept is basically there's less restricting you. There's less of a hurdle between you and your imagination and reality. It's all coming together. And, and yeah, it's it, less effort to do it. Yeah, and and more deliverable from it. You know, you get a you get a better tool. Um, you're able to offer more features and functionality, and you've done less work in the process. Yep. And you don't necessarily have to be a computer programmer or or a whiz. I remember in architecture school when my my parents would see I, we did a skyscraper. Yep. And they're like, I want to even know how to do that. And in, in our heads, you know, okay, I get 3D Max, I do all this. But that that gap between people's dreams is just is just narrowing. Well, yeah, and you know it's funny because uh, oftentimes I will see people that aren't really in the tech sector and they're not really involved in technology in any way. They'll say, and they'll they'll kind of look at things and they'll say, wouldn't it be great if you know insert something here? Yeah. And you know we walk in walk around this show and it's already here. You know we're we're at the place where. You know, the generative design is a great example. You know, being able to just iterate one after another after another, and and to let the design, uh, let the tools figure out the viable options, and then the architects from there can select the style. Because the one thing that I do worry about with generative and iterative design is that it doesn't have a heart. Yeah. So you lose the heart in the design. In, if you're not careful. Uh, and that's important to me is keeping that because otherwise we might as well be living in shipping containers. Yep. And, and that fear is the same fear that we've been tackling for a while. And, and we just have to be cognizant of it because we heard it in school, especially maybe even 20 years ago. Oh, you're going from hand to the computer. You're going to lose their art. You're going from the computer to SketchUp. You're going to use it. Well, it, if you use SketchUp, which I don't recommend design buildings in SketchUp, but people do. <laughs> if you don't take design... It's great. It, it, SketchUp is great for modeling your dorm room in architecture school. Yes. But once you leave, you have to put on your big boy software. And, and I, I've seen buildings where I go, oh, they just that's just SketchUp made in reality. 
So there's that same fear. It's just people need to to take their own passion into it and, and, and realize that they're actually making rather than letting it control you. Now you're more in control and you need to realize that you're more in control. Right. And well, you can't stop the wheels of progress. You know, no. change, is, change is inevitable. Um, so you embrace it and you work with it, not against it. And you flow with it. Yep. So that, you know, you use it for what you want to use it for. Just because it's there doesn't mean, I mean, I know plenty of people that, that draft by hand still. Yep. You know, they're, they're older and they're set in the way that they want to do things. And that's fine. And that, you know, but for them to be able to um, create a legacy, it's not going to happen because the technology's gone. Right. You know, you know pencil technology kind of hit a wall. Yep. You know, the, you can't make a better pencil. So um, it's peaked. It has. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happened to CAD. You know, CAD hit a yeah. wall. You could not make it any more robust. Yep. So enter BIM. BIM came along and it's still growing. It's not, you know, it's not shrinking, but it's also being, you know, augmented by other tools like, like VR, mm -hmm. where, you know, it's still 3D modeling. Um, but now it's more visual and it's less hands-on and more thought. Yep. Um, so it's, you know, you're, you're talking about less creating more. You're actually doing less of the legwork and more of the design. Yep. So you can, you know, just quickly move the wall that way, quickly raise the ceiling that way, quickly yep, and add the All floor. your sections are just, they just update. They're just, yeah, they're just they're a done. function. Um, you know, and the same thing, well, let's take specifications. Yep. Um, you know, the average age of the specifier is raising one year every year. Uh, um, yes. I think it's like F 90 fact. now. Um, but regardless, I'm actually still a specifier. Yep. And, you know, with you're Vince, only 86. I know. I know. I'm a youngin. Yeah. Uh, and they treat me that way, too. You know, that, that young gun. They yeah. know, what does he know? He's yeah. just 86. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have to live with that. It's my cross to bear. But yep. the, the point is that um, there's a lot of knowledge involved there. And, and there's, you know, there's specifiers and there's spec writers. And yeah. you know the difference between the two? You tell me. Okay. A, a, spec, a spec writer can tell you what is in a project. And a specifier can tell you why. Okay. Uh, and it's an important thing to note because that's product knowledge and when to use specific products in specific situations, when not to use, you know, stainless steel in these applications or copper here. Or I made a stainless steel bathroom because of Tim the Toolman Taylor. Oh yeah. And uh, it wasn't smart. No. No, no. <laughs> so. Well, nor is Tim the Toolman Taylor. So not the sharpest knife of the yeah. drawer. Um, but yeah, so you know, it was for my own thing. So I wasn't uh, subjecting other people to my horrible decisions. Well, that's cool. I bet it was good on a on a cold winter morning. It, it was exactly. So I mean, did it look very prison esque? It looked awesome. So Lance wanted to take it further. He wanted to put a prison toilet in it. Oh, you but, you should have gotten detention furniture. Yeah. Oh, that would have been great. You get one of those like three piece toilet yeah. sink whatever things. It was. I don't know if you ever saw our tiny house that we did. Oh but yeah. It, it was for that project. Oh no, kidding. You were gonna put. We did. Well, I mean, wait. We, you put detention. No, we put stainless steel. Yeah. All, all the, and we had a stainless steel door. Yeah. But. Uh, the stainless steel toilets were too much. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, that, I, I think <laughs> that's going over the top. But, you know, I mean, especially being based out of Denver, Colo yeah. you know, just generally Colorado cold yeah. up in the mountains. Stainless steel retains cold well. Yeah. That's and, you know, when if, if the person who was there before you pissed on the seat, you might end up stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so these kinds of things do happen. 
So let's back up. How how did you get here? How in it? Not flight, but your past. High school to here. Wow. Okay. So from high school to here, um, I started with um, out of high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I went to college for civil engineering. Yep. And through the curriculum, I decided that I didn't want to be a civil engineer. So makes mm. sense. No offense, civil engineers. Well, no, it's just it, it wasn't my path. It wasn't my calling. I mean, I'm a fifth generation. You know, I would have been a fifth generation engineer if mm -hmm. I got the pedigree in the paper. Um, but I still think like an engineer. And, you know, anybody who's talked to me kind of says the same thing. It's like, you know, you you have that analytical mind. But I went into construction because what I, it's what I loved. I loved building houses and buildings. So, you know, I started by being a roofer. You know, my knees went south. Yeah, uh, so went I went south. into general contracting and realized that there was too much competition. I was in New Jersey. Um, so for every, you know, for every dollar I bid, there was somebody who didn't have insurance that was bidding at 70 cents. And then somebody who was coming in even less than that at, you know, who isn't even paying taxes. Yeah. So if the competition wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't what I wanted to. Model it, it, it is a, a tough business model to beat. So in any event, what I had done was, um, you know, I didn't have the pedigree, but I had the determination. So well, and the knowledge, the hands-on knowledge. Yeah. So I took, I, um, I sent my resume to GAF Materials Corporation. Um, you know, they're world, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. It's what I know is roofing. So I said, you know what, I'm going to stick with that. And I sent my resume to them every three weeks nice. for a year before they gave me an interview. And when they gave me an interview, they hired me on the spot. So it, determination is, you know, will get you far. Absolutely. Um, not taking no. And then, you know, I did the corporate thing for six years. And, uh, what you know, were you doing there? So I started as I, I started on their tech hotline, and they quickly moved me away to that to their architectural information services. So I headed up a team of uh, that would put together submittal packages and and you know architectural uh, elements. I did I did all of their CAD work. I wrote their specifications. Um, I worked on their data sheets. Then they also moved me into um, uh, new product development. Yep. So I worked with um, I worked with you know, some, some synthetic stone products. I worked with Skylights, yeah. um, some new products that they were looking to, to build because I had a good mind for the products, how to install them. Heck, they even had me doing like v training videos and stuff. Okay. And, you know, I got to a point where I just didn't like the corporate gig anymore. Yep. Um, now, I, so I moved on. And from there, I, um, I wasn't, uh, you know, I quit. But I wasn't unemployed for 24 hours before I got picked up by um, by a specification library who, yeah. you know, they asked me to come in, please write our specs for us. We need more people to write specs as well as you can. You know, yeah. not to, you know, toot my own horn, but I'm pretty good at it, especially for... Well, you were 86. My, I know. I know. Or I, was, well, I, was only, I was only like a, a young gun at like 75 at that yeah. point. So... <laughs> So you still had some spirit in you. Yeah, I still had I had some still had the piss and vinegar. So, um, so I started writing specs for them. And then they asked me, you know, what's this BIM stuff? I said, oh, well, okay, BIM is kind of an emerging technology. Now this is back in two thousand and four, five, five. How did you know? 
Oh, I did the homework, the research. Because um, I learned AutoCAD in high school when I was 14. Yep. Now, this is creating a very bad age progression because I don't, I'm not even sure pencils were invented <laughs> I, then. But, yeah. um, you know, so, but in all, in all reality, I learned, I learned AutoCAD in high school uh, when I was 14 years old. I went to a high school that was designed around pre-engineering. Yep. So they had CAD systems available to us, and I loved it. I wanted to be, honestly, I wanted to be an Imagineer when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to do. And it was, you know, I, I kind of followed it, and, you know, I was a partier. I, I made some decisions that kind of changed what I wanted to do, and yep. I wasn't a, a hard worker at the time. You live and you learn. But I don't regret any of those things that I did or the path that I took because it really made me who I am, and the knowledge hands-on mm. and working you know, with all of the different trades actually give me experience that most people that are in this industry don't actually have. No. So, um, and, uh, so, you know, I, uh, they asked me about this BIM thing and I explained to them, I said, well, okay, here's how BIM works. It's, it's like CAD on steroids. Uh, it's a 3D models and we've, we're burying data inside of it also. Yeah. And they said, well, do we need this? I said, this will make you a lot of money. So I developed the, the sales structure, the formula, how they were, you know, you know, how to get it to the market from end to end. And I built it and I put it out there and I managed it for about 13 years up until about four months ago. And yeah. at which point, you know, the, the, the structure that, that they had on sales um, was starting to become problematic. And um, their sales declined. They weren't compensating for it. And I found myself in a position where I just, I couldn't watch this happen to the, this baby of a library that I built. I mean, that library literally is the same age as my daughter, mm. who, Another when baby. I quit yeah. my job, uh, and this is an interesting thing about me, when I quit my job uh, at GAF, I also knew that uh, I found out like a week earlier that I was going to be a dad. So perfect timing. Well, uh, but I said to myself, I cannot fail. Yeah. So when I started a business, I, you know, it was, I cannot fail because I will be failing her. Yeah. And, um, you know, 12 years later, um, I made the decision to, instead of continue just developing content by myself, I didn't feel like I was making an in impact to the overall industry, and that's what I like to do: is you know make some sort of change happen. Um, so I came to Bimsmith. Yep. And this is really great being part of a team that wants to make things better. Yeah. To wants to move the needle. That wants to give the AEC industry something that it hasn't seen before. That will actually make things better. I mean, because. A lot of times people will build models for the sake of building them. Yep. You know, they'll put detail in for the sake of putting in detail. That doesn't really matter. Architects don't care about it. Yeah. Manufacturers might say, well, I need to make it look exactly like my, uh, exactly like my widget. If it doesn't look exactly like my widget, it's wrong. But what they're forgetting is who their audience is, and that's the architects. If the architects don't want that, you might as well, you know, you're advertising to yourself at that point. Yeah. So the key is is developing content, be it specifications, BIM, CAD, data sheets, um, for your audience. 
so that you're so that you're giving them what they're asking for. If you if you're not doing that, it's internal advertising, nothing more. Yeah. What are you excited about at Bim Smith now that you guys are currently doing? And then what are you excited about about what you might do in the future? Ideas that you've garnered, things that you talked about, things in the back of your head. Wow. Okay. So well, first and foremost, the thing that I think I'm most excited about is um, building a specification program. You know, with RCAT, they had a um, they had a uh, a robust spec library and no BIM. Yeah. With BIMSmith, they have a robust BIM library and no real spec backing. Now they built in a they built a relationship with the Vitru Master Spec. Um, and that's one aspect of specifications. I'm looking forward to building the rest of that specification and knowledge management um, uh, you know, platform for BIMSmith so that it's not just BIM and it's not just specs, but it's all of the information that ties the two together so that one can actually be connected to the other. Yep. So that the tools will allow you to make changes in one or the other and reflect on both. Yeah. And that's something that I've been, I've been scoping and trying to build for the better part of six years. So um, I'm only 22. I'm making that up. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, You're as 22 as I'm as 86. Yep. So I'm playing off our 86 to 22 because like you indicated, the, the spec world is old. Mm -hmm. And not only is the age of those who do it old, but some of the thought behind it. And I don't mean to rip on it, but I mean to say that here's here's where it's what chatty. It's verbose. Yeah. It's, it's old. the language is is archaic. Yeah. And here's where the, the theme of this whole conference is coming together. I know what a UL wall is. I know what a fire raid wall. I know if that wall is the correct wall or not the correct wall. Mm -hmm. If I can make that in Bimsmith and it, if it can give me the spec. And I know that it's the right spec. I hate to say this, but a lot of people aren't going to read that whole spec, including no. me. But if I know that wall's right, it's tied exactly to that spec. Now I have both of them. Now I don't have to worry about that because I'm designing, I'm dealing with the client, with the developer, all that other stuff. Yeah, see, because the key is to think about products going into a project like you're buying something off of Amazon. You know, you go to Amazon because you're looking for a toaster. Yep. So you go to, you go to Amazon, you type in toaster. And now you see, you know, 437,000 results um, because you've got everything from toasters to toaster tongs to, you know, toaster brand slippers and, you know, all this. So that's where you be able to you're able to come in and sort and filter um, <clears throat> and find exactly what you want. After you find it uh, and you order that toaster and it comes to you, when you open that box in it comes a manual. And that's really what a specification should be. It's nothing more than a than a um, an owner's manual for the products that have been selected. Only they're aggregated in such a way that that it follows a specific format that the architects require. Um, do you? So this is totally off the cuff question. Do you see specs changing in their format? And how yeah, I think it's inevitable. I I think they're going to remain. Uh, as as specification documents, so long as there's attorneys, we're going to have specifications. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Uh, as long as there's litigation, because lawyers, right? Yeah. As long as there's litigation, um, you know, insurance insurance companies they they need to see it. I mean, plus you can't put every piece of information on us on a drawing sheet. 
No. It, you know, you you've got your own sheet specs, but they're still specs. They're just on a they're just on an E size or a D size page. So there's that. Um, but in terms of the format, I think it's going to be less sentences and more attribute value pairs. So you, you're you're showing almost like a, a very detailed data sheet that is not just um, that's not just the the list of the product information and the attributes about the product, but how it's properly installed and sort of the general information and related related information that's essential. Because the one thing that people you know often overlook about specs is that they're not a list of products. It's a work result. You know, mm -hmm. master format is known as work results, which is, you know, an effort. So, you know, they're not talking about, they're not talking about, um, you know, wood floor, you know, wood floor pieces. They're talking about flooring. And it's that ING at the end, flooring, um, drywalling, um, that, is, that is really what's important because it's an action and it's the result of the action, and you're documenting the action that's, um, the, you know, that's, being, that's being performed. So, it's, you know, and we've, we've kind of talked about it you know, in, in the industry in terms of nouns and verbs, the nouns being the products, and the verbs being the actions um, that are being performed, whether it's uh, finished carpentry, rough carpentry. Yeah. So you don't, have, you don't have a spec for lumber. You have a spec for rough carpentry. You don't have a spec for you know for um, you know Azec trim. You have a you have a spec for um, finished carpentry. Yep, yep. Well, awesome. Anything you want to leave us with, or any parting thoughts before we kick the can on this one? Oh wow. Um, you know anybody who has the opportunity to get to AU should at least once. You know I've been coming for uh, about ten years. Uh, no, twelve years. I started going in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. So oh. this is I think my twelfth year. Uh, I only missed, only missed one year, um, and that was, you know, personal matter. Uh, but beyond that, anybody who has the opportunity will take something away from being here. I'm sure you are. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's totally worth it. Well, well, thanks for sitting down or standing with me. Oh, happy to, happy uh, to. This is a great opportunity. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Fantastic. Thanks. All right, a big round of applause for Robert. Everyone, just start clapping unless you're driving. Uh, from there, let's go and let's talk to Bill Allen. All right, here at Autodesk U with Bill Allen. How's it going? Good, doing real good. So what do you think of it so far? You've been here, you told me, eight times. Yeah, I think this is my eighth or ninth AU. So yeah, I think it's really good. Uh, the keynote was really, really inspiring this morning. That's what I enjoyed. I think was the highlight for me yeah. so far. So what, what, what did you find inspiring about it? Um, I think just practical applications of computation and generative design. Um, it's been something that's been preached here for a really long time in the automotive manufacturing space. Um, and I'm finally excited to see it in the AEC architecture, engineering, construction space. Yeah, I, I, I was very excited uh, about that. And I think basically that has been born now in the architectural space, but it'll still be a couple years. Um, did you go to, there was one breakout section earlier that was about automations and robotics and someone was 3D printing a house. Did you go to that one? I did was, not, I missed oh, it. They're still doing components essentially, mm -hmm. and not not the whole house. A hard part is essentially the floors I, because I've been looking into it too. Mm -hmm. Because with concrete, you know, you, you can't cure quick enough to do a floor, and it's not good intention and all that. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll work something out. Yeah, uh, there's a huge move towards like the manufacturing prefabrication space, which I think is really fascinating in architecture yep. and construction. Yep. Um, so, yeah, tell. Let's go. 
but why are you here? What are you promoting? What are you doing here? Uh, I am presenting tomorrow morning, uh, Wednesday at 8 a.m. a class. So that is why I'm here. I saw your face on the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was I got, I was so excited because the um, CEO did the keynote speech and they had they were scrolling through the website and then my face was on there. I was like, yes, yeah. I was in the keynote yeah. on the website in the background. Did you have to like restrain yourself? No, I totally threw both arms up. I was like super excited. Good. Yeah, super nerded out about yeah. that, so. We know each other just like periphery and I was almost like, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> he thinks I'm cool, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So uh, um, so you, you have a class. Again, tell me a little bit more about your class. Yeah, so what? my class tomorrow is a case study on delivering theme park projects with BEM. So one of our clients, shout out to DTJ Design in Boulder, Colorado. They do these crazy awesome theme park projects in China and in the United States. And so they work with us, we team up and basically deliver very unconventional style projects. Really we just kind of get to play roller coaster tycoon, like living my childhood oh, awesome. through my adult years. So I'm really, really excited about that. Oh. So tomorrow my class is on delivering theme parks uh, with them. With everything that goes in a theme park, are they modeling? They're not modeling roller coasters in Revit. They have ride consultants. So the ride consultants model primarily in SketchUp is the deliverable. And so really, that yeah, seems scary to me. It's very scary, like super, super sketch. Like you literally, have, yeah, because you have all these bolts and nuts and everything inside of those ride consultant files. And so that becomes a super hard challenge, especially with the scale and size of some of these projects. It's not like a single family residential house. It's like, you know, 400 acres yeah. of theme parks with roller coasters and pavement and buildings and structure and all of this stuff. And buildings are complex enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So we're that's part of our challenge is like the theming of it is trying to model these very con like we had to model a mountain um but as part of that mo mountain there's roller coasters going through there but there's also building elements that are embedded in there there's egress yep. there's all kinds of information the theming of the buildings um so yeah it's pretty crazy some of the stuff that we're trying to model and especially revit's not designed per se like to design these type of forms Right. It's more like Maya or Mudbox or some of these like crazy other kind of uh, sculpting programs. But we're delivering these buildings, so we have to try to do it with with Revit usually. But it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, a Frankenstein of programs that we kind of like piecemeal all together to try to leverage different programs for their strengths. Our, our firm has some experience in that too. We get subbed out from uh, different subcontractors for again theme parks. So really? It's, it's fun. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's I, awesome. You know, I can't say which theme parks, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. That just because of, I mean, I probably could, but I'm not supposed to. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. not a big deal. There's only so many theme parks going up, but it's, it's the same thing as where uh, they will model it in SketchUp or something else and everything has to be in Revit and they don't know Revit. So then they contact us. We either put it in. Well, we normally do put it in, but it, it's just crazy how big these models are. And I'm so happy that some of our guys don't know the pain of before BIM 360. Oh yeah. The collaborative tool before that, I just, I'm like, you guys got it easy. Totally, yeah, it was so much hard, like sending files and downloading files and putting them on networks and, hey, did yeah. you publish that this Friday at four o'clock? You know, the pains of that, so we are spoiled today. Yeah, yeah. so how did you get into the BIM space and what you do and basically from 
high school, college on? Yeah, so um, primarily did architecture for 12 years, um, working at like really big firms. So I worked at HDR for eight years. I worked at Oz Architecture, Lance Bogio Architects. Um, and I was always part of kind of... Okay. Is that where we met up at Oz? Uh, because we worked, we did some stuff for Oz. Did you? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, I think I found you, because I was moving to Boulder. Yep. And um, I think I found you guys on LinkedIn. And then that's when I had reached out. Actually, I didn't have a job in Colorado. I was coming out to Colorado and didn't have a job yet. Um, and so I think I was interviewing at some different jobs and reached out to you guys to see if you had some advice on the, the job space out here. Cool. So, Where did you go to school? Uh, just have an associate's degree in computer-aided drafting technology management yep. um, from Batterock College. So Where's that? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha. Yeah, Omaha, represent. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Omaha, Nebraska went there, uh, just two-year degree, uh, uh, like a trade college yep. there. And then from there, uh, got di different BIM management jobs throughout the years and then just started speaking at the conferences and humbly actually got invited to be on staff at the University of Nebraska. Yep. And I'm like, I don't think I'm qualified for this because I don't have a degree. And then I'm like trying to teach these other guys that do have but, but But they're thinking... Well, we don't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you might not have a good degree, but you know more than, you know, probably what we're teaching right yeah, now. Yeah, and I think you learn a lot, you know, in the professional space, like, you know, working on actually, like, I worked on projects, like working, doing waterproofing details and computational design. And so, like, I I worked in the space and got the experience, yep. you know, through hard knocks of, like, real project deadlines and things like that. So, yeah. What I'm excited about, and I'm cutting off your story. Yeah, please, go ahead. <laughs> but, um, the new stuff that's coming out and, and with Revit taking over, uh, essentially you're modeling more like real life when you start with Revit. So the training is getting pushed back into the college colleges because you have to make those decisions earlier, which I think is great. Yeah. Because in, did, did you use AutoCAD back in the? Yeah. When yeah. I went to school, it was AutoCAD. Exactly. So like you can lie. You just, you know, you make a floor <laughs> plan, you make an elevation and you're like, oh yeah, those fit together perfectly. Yep. You're like, no. The contractors call and swear and everything. So, uh, I think this whole move to BIM is is really really good. Totally. Uh, even though it, it, it's very hard at times. Yeah. Um, so g keep going. So you worked at some firms. Then, then what? Yeah. So three and a half years ago, I founded Evolve Lab, uh, which is basically a computational design and BIM consulting firm. And so we basically help firms like on theme park projects or with BIM implementation or training. Uh, workshops, things like that. And then Dynamo is really hot right now. So we're doing a lot of Dynamo workshops and Dynamo scripts. Yep. Um, and so we did, I, I found Evolve Lab three and a half years ago. And then I guess felt like I didn't have enough on my plate. Uh, Naturally. Yeah. And so I started another company called On Point Scans where we do like laser scanning and photogrammetry scans. Um, and so those two companies right now keep me really, really busy. And then from there we, it, it was funny, like I started Evolve Lab with uh, a tax return where I bought a laptop and a seat of Revit and started doing consulting. And then from there, we've worked. I've worked it up enough now where we have like uh, business development and marketing, client relations, and I have a director of design technology and director of um, lighting and design. And so we have, uh, we've grown it now from where it was just me to a team similar similar to you guys, where you guys have a whole staff and, yeah, and everything. Yeah, so. exciting, yeah. awesome, congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank that, you very much, yeah. appreciate it. Um, Dynamo, I can't even talk anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm asking about? So I haven't gotten into it. What's the appeal? What's uh, 
what is everyone loving about it? And, and how useful is it in everyday applications? Because how it's presented to me is essentially, and, and this is probably the wrong presentation is, okay, you're doing some pavilion and you have some sort of beams and all of a sudden you want to flex them and move them and, and, and you can kind of control all that. And, and maybe it's, it's my own perception or, or maybe it was the way that I presented it where they did like, it's this very curvy snake-like craziness. I'm like, okay, that's great. I do houses and regular buildings. I'm not going to be doing that. Yeah. Is that perception correct, incorrect? What, what's going on in that space? I would say I had the exact same perception. And it's very common in our industry to have that perception um, because I came from using Grasshopper. And so you use Grasshopper primarily for computational iterative design for complex form finding. And Dynamo, you can do similar tasks so a lot of people have that perception that like, oh, if you're using Dynamo, you're doing something crazy complex. But at Autodesk University, where we're at right now, um, about six, seven years ago, I took a class from Marcelo. I'm going to butcher his last name, Scambaluri. We'll, do, we'll yeah. just keep it with Marcelo. Marcelo. Yeah. And so Marcelo did a class on practical uses for Dynamo. Yeah. And that totally flipped my perception about what you could use Dynamo for. And so you can use Dynamo for all kinds of just like mundane grunt task automation, like room renumbering or sheet creation or view creation and dropping views on sheets and auto dimensioning stuff or pushing data from Excel to Revit and back from Revit to Excel. So like, let's say at F9, like you have a door hardware consultant and they are gonna be entering all this data for the door schedule. You could use Dynamo to take all the data from your Revit model, kick it out to Excel, give it to your door consultant, they could populate the data and then push it back into Revit and it populates your door schedule. So there's like some very, very practical examples for Dynamo, not just twisty towers and bridges. Yeah, what's the learning curve on that program? It's pretty high, I think. Um, the, it's, a, it's a visual programming language and the problem with Dynamo is like there's no door tool. There's no quote unquote wall tool. You can kind of make like your own tools with Dynamo. So it's really kind of like an infinite like program. Like you can yep. just cre continue creating combinations um, and building stuff. And so the learning curve is, I would, I would say is pretty high. Yep. Um, um, but it's worth it. Like it's definitely a powerful program. So um, when firms, companies approach you. Do you ever see a common theme where you can help them out or where they're doing something where uh, you're like, I, I see this all the time and, and there's a quick fix. Maybe not quick, but, but do you see anything like that? The most common theme, and it's funny because we're more like a design technology consulting company. The most common theme is uh, we're dysfunctional. Like, the pro, like most firms, yeah. unfortunately, uh, they just have a hard time getting their staff to adopt new processes. And so that's the most common theme of it's like, it, it's this three-legged stool that I always say, it's people, process, and technology. And so the process and technology is like super, super easy. Like that's just math and some algorithm. But the people part is very, very difficult because we have this free will. We're like, ah, Maybe I'll use the spreadsheet. Maybe I won't. Like yeah. I like my own spreadsheet, you know. Yeah. And so that's the most common theme is like trying to get it to like change management or trying to change culture is very difficult because people are kind of stuck in their ways. So that's that's like the most common thing that we're trying to, to face in, in battle. So yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, two part question. Yes, sir. What 
what are you excited about that you've built or that you're providing to people? And then what are you excited about in the future that's maybe something in the back of your head that you hope, hey, one day we'll do something like this or it'd be cool if, I, if we could provide this, you know, a future looking. Yeah. I think um, something that's really exciting me right now is the scanning side. I think there's so many applications for that and it just makes so much sense. So um, for me, like when I would used to do as builds, like I'd go out there with tape measure, piece of paper, you know, write down the dimensions, go back to the office and go, crap, I forgot like the windowsill yeah. or I forgot, I start drawing it up and then I got, have a bust. And so the application, I think, of photogrammetry, laser scanning, and being able to capture some of those existing spaces, um, I love that because it just it makes so much sense um, for for projects. And so that's like really jazzing me up right now. Um, I just got out of a class where they were doing laser scanning and really taking it even a lot further. Um, What's so, the process? Because a lot of firms are thinking about that. Yeah. And, and here's the uh, conception of, of how it happens is that, okay, you go in and you set your camera up in different locations, it scans it, then you get this model, it's gonna be big and bulky and it's gonna have weird things and then you have to retrace over everything and you might as well have just went there and, and you know, modeled it while you were there or, or taking sketches. Yeah. Now, is that, <laughs> how does that relate to what you're doing? Yeah, so it's totally true. The problem sometimes is they're so accurate, right? And so like, you don't have 90 degree angles like with your walls, like yeah. you have these crazy skewed walls or deflection in the wall to your point. Um, so you kind of have to average those out um, when you're modeling, when you digitize on top of the scan you have to model on top of that and take that into account. Uh, I still think it's pragmatic and makes sense in my mind because you are getting an accurate representation of your as-built and your existing condition. Yep. Um, so Because now you can be within, and, and I hate to say it, but there are those averages. So you're probably within an inch most of the time where if you're just taking measurements, you can be honestly by the time you complete that whole model and you know you think your exterior walls are your bounding box and then you don't know that that wall is thicker for some reason you could be six inches off totally easily yeah and i think too the other thing like trying like when you have projects that aren't like uh like 90s like where you have just weird angles or floor to floor heights um, we do a lot of projects like in the mountains where like people have built houses like based into the terrain and there's like boulders that they're trying to model around. Like we had to scan a boulder for a client recently because yeah. they wanted to include it as part of their um, architectural feature in their house. And so there's a lot of really good applications, not just like in the 2D space, if you just walk in a, a building perimeter, but floor to floor heights and all kinds of other applications. So yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And then future. Future. Um, the thing that's exciting me about the feature is the idea of data-driven design. So I've been on my soapbox forever talking about like, okay, cool, like we now have quote-unquote building information modeling. What are we doing with it? Oh, we're creating a door schedule. Like that's all we're doing with the data. Yeah. So I'm really jazzed about the future of using data to drive design, to do optimized buildings. So like if you're putting a, a, a house on a site, like, could we op optimize it for daylighting? Or could we optimize it based on light, uh, line of sight? Like, all this data that we could start informing the, the project for. I think that's what's really exciting me. It's data-driven design. I, I know you know Clifton from TestFit. Yes. It's almost like if we could have a program. And I know you can do sun analysis, but uh, the, the TestFit I.O., it, it has generative designs. And, you know, you can move yep. the building about and you can, you know, pull things. If the sun could almost, like, morph 
just like Fusion 360. Yes. You're building. <laughs> and then you take, I mean, you'd obviously have to change it, but it'd be very cool if somehow like the sun could melt away where you should have windows. Oh, and stuff yeah. Like that. Oh, my gosh. That's a good idea. Yeah. That, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Trying to use that. It's a really good idea. Uh, trademark. Copyright, like all that <laughs> yes, stuff. Yeah. That's right. It's a really good idea. Yeah, Clifton and I are really good friends. Funny thing is uh, we actually shared an Airbnb in Atlanta like two weeks ago. Literally like slept on bunk beds. I was up on the top bunk yeah. and he was down on the bottom bunk. You held hands. I know. Yeah, it it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't weird at all. No. Yeah, it wasn't weird. So, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so we, I interviewed him earlier and then just saw him at uh, Starbucks. So, cool. Um, how can people get a hold of you? And then do you want to leave anyone with any kind of parting thoughts? Any ideas, anything like that? Uh, so people can get a hold of us either through um, evolvebim.com. Um, we have a lot of cool resources on there. There's a lot of free res like free Dynamo scripts, um, free training videos. Uh, we have a Slack channel. Uh, we have a forum. So if you go to evolvebim.com, you can like download just tons of free stuff. Uh, the blog, just tons of resource and knowledge. So you can re check out that. Um, onpointscans.com uh, is the other one. And through there, you can reach us through the contacts. So that's way people could, could reach us. Um, parting thoughts. I would say for anyone, so this is something like I've been really jazzed about, is a lot of people have been asking me about, like, cool, like I want to implement this in my firm, but I don't know how to go about it. I would say for my own path, like don't wait for someone to ask you. Don't wait for someone to give you your career trajectory. Like if you're excited about something, I would encourage you to just do it like go after it and don't wait for someone to give you permission um, that's that would be my like parting thoughts or words of wisdom uh, for whatever little wisdom probably not much wisdom coming from me but that's what <laughs> I, I, would, I would agree a hundred percent yeah you, you, you just have to do it yeah and know that hey especially if you work at a, at a firm this might be the hard thing is that you might say to your uh, boss hey I did this and he might think it's a, a terrible idea yeah right and you have to be okay with that's gonna happen yes you know you're young and it might, it could be a terrible idea. It definitely could. But it also could be, hey, they're stuck in a different way of thinking. And you are just seeing the future. And there's pushback from that naturally because they are just cemented in, in their thought pattern. Yeah. So either way, don't be afraid to go for it. Totally. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for stopping by, man. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And last but not least is Alan Mahler. Here we go. All right, I'm still here at Autodesk U, uh, here with Aaron. And if you are into Revit or on Twitter, I feel like you should know about Aaron. I don't know why, but for years I've because just... Because I'm everywhere. <laughs> I've just heard about you, known about you, seen different stuff of yours. So I guess a good place to start off is why are you here? Uh, why am I at Autodesk University? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I started using Revit on January 3rd of 2006. I know that exact Old date because it was right after right after the holiday break, and uh, we had no BIM managers then. So uh, I was basically told, go online, learn how to use Revit, and then your project starts in two weeks. And uh, I found where were you at? Syracuse, New York. Do you was, mind saying the firm? Uh, I was at Delpos Architects. Uh, okay. They're still they're still there in Syracuse. Um, and I found the Augie forums back then, and I found people like Steve Stafford, Chris Zug, uh, James Van de Zand, uh, Scott Brown, and those folks through the Augie community introduced me to AU, and so ever since 2006, I've been here every year, um, because even if I'm not taking classes, now this is like the venue where I get to go see everybody that I talk to online all year round uh, yep. in one place. 
Yep. So, um, what? <clears throat> tell me, tell me more about your company and what you do. So, Parallax Team is basically. A, I, I kind of joke around that we're like a jack of all trades BIM consultancy yep. because we do everything that's related to making a firm more efficient, whether that's. Uh, building project templates for firms so that they're nice. more efficient in document creation, uh, content libraries because the out-of-the-box content absolutely sucks. Yeah. Uh, so we sell what I call high-fidelity content libraries, which are not meant to represent manufacturers. They're meant to represent variations that we may want to show in architecture. Yep. So like doors that can do all kinds of actions, all kinds of frames. I'll hit uh, you with a hot question. Yeah. Can your door, I see it right there. Yes, sir. On the floor plan, can yep. you do it so that it only opens to a 45? Not only can we do it so it only opens to a 45, you can, on a double door, open in just the plan each each panel individually. Oh, absolutely, nice. Absolutely. And you can also open every door that we have in the model so that if you want to walk through them in VR, you can. See, uh, I didn't even think to ask that They question. have swappable hardware, swappable panels, swappable frames. So you want to show panic hardware, it actually shows up in elevation so that you can look and see, did I spec like a full glass panel and then accidentally put a panic bar across it? Yep. Like, I want someone to accidentally see that in their drawings and go, oh, that sucks, yeah. and fix it before they're in the field. That's my goal. Th that's what I love about Revit, and, and it's so crazy that I have to convince people to go into Revit, Yeah. right? But I, I tell my guys, we have an architecture firm, too, cut sections. Cut, Absolutely. Cut as many as possible. Always look at these critical things, because that's where you'll catch it. You know, you put it in the floor plan, but you like you said, you might hit the wrong button, sure. and, and you'll see something that, that doesn't work out. Um, what do you find when you help out firms? Where do you see, what's a recurring issue that you see or theme? Um, I call it the 75-25 issue, honestly, and that's that out of the box Revit will get you 75% of the way there really quick. But it's the last 25% of like the minutia details that we want to do in architecture and engineering that Revit out of the box doesn't really give you solutions for. Going back to the door example, you download the out of the box door library and you suddenly want to add a transom, right? Yep. So you got 75% of the way there because it let you drop a door in really quick. You can change the size. It's all good. Now you say, oh, I want a transom or, oh, I want a side light or I want a different frame profile. That's the 25% where Revit gotchas. It's like, yep. gotcha, I can't do that. Yeah. So a lot of firms the reputation that they associate with Revit is that to achieve a high quality of design is a lot of extra work when that's only true up until they get high fidelity, you know, implementation. Yeah. And that's not just content. That's like, you know, having a template where they have uh, proper filters for doing things like life safety plans, code compliance, uh, automated IBC calculations. Yep. Like people shouldn't be calculating occupancy by hand anymore. It's ridiculous. Do, do your doors have the ability uh, I forgot what it was, but one project we're we're trying to tag where it swings into and swings out to. Sure. Um, you have that? Yeah, absolutely. And we actually, so John Pearson, 60-second Revit, who works with me, yep. uh, he actually, we do that, but we don't do it through the native functionality of Revit. We actually do it through Dynamo. Uh, and that's the other nice thing about a lot of our stuff is we have pre-built Dynamo graphs that come with those libraries because uh, it's better to use the automation of Dynamo for that. Uh, because then we can look at what are the rooms on each side of the door, and Revit's, Revit's pretty fundamentally bad about that. So, yeah, we, we track all that stuff. We just do it through Dynamo. Okay, very cool. Um, where, what are you excited about that you do now? Actually, I'm going to back up, because you said 7525, and I love Revit, but I think that you gave it 
too much credit. I don't. I would almost reverse it. It gets you 25 percent of the way. <laughs> that's that's 100 percent fair. I'm probably uh, yeah. You know, um, because immediately when you when you get out and, and you can grab that while while I'm asking this question, um, it. I, no, that's I, a, that's a I really love, good point. I, I love Revit, but again, you, you get into it, and I feel like people have this thought where, okay, if I'm going to transition into Revit, sure. I, I now have to change everything up to my standards because they just give you the basics rather than... Absolutely. I, 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 I do agree that Revit's not fit for purpose when you buy it. Um, I think that was true with AutoCAD as well. I think it was just easier to assimilate. My biggest fear is the way firms, and for me it was a decade ago, but the way firms have decided to implement Revit is always, oh, first I'm going to try a project first, and then I'll implement it. And the problem with that is they've predisposed themselves to thinking that it's going to look terrible because they did a pilot project before they properly implemented. So the first firm I was a BIM manager at, they said, tell us what it's going to be like working with you for your first year. And this was during my job interview, by the way. This was not Delpos. It was the first firm I was a BIM manager instead of architectural staff. And I had already learned from my time using Revit. I said to the principals, with respect, if we want to do this job right, you're going to hire me. I'm going to have about two weeks worth of meetings with you. And then I'm going to go to my desk for three months and you're not going to hear anything from me. Yep. And they're like, what are you doing? And I said, well, before we're going to show this to the rest of your staff, we have to have it set up so it matches the firm standards so it's usable. Yep. And that's what I'm going to be doing for three months. And then we're going to start training. And that's actually what we did at that firm. And this is, you weren't being hired to work there. You were being hired to come in and, and help them out. Back then, I was actually being hired to work there. I was an in-house BIM manager. Uh, that was my first job in BIM management at the time. Yep. Yeah. Now we come in as SEAL Team 6, as consultants. Exactly. I would say a replica. Exactly. And if you know Jocko Willink, that's exactly what you look like. And, and, and the funny thing is, uh, that's the difference, is now we don't have to say, but we need three months to build all this stuff, because what we're bringing in is stuff that's already built. And yes. it's just like, now we just need to get you trained, get you functional, and be ready to go. I find training is... is so huge and the good firms do it well and dedicate times to it and some of the other people some people their plan for implementing bim is oh we'll get some college kid sure to, to start sure. and you're like okay he might not know revit but he doesn't know architecture right you and, know. and i tell everybody the shortest revit training class that i basically offer is four days long the you know upwards of two weeks and the reason why is you're not training about software if you're not training if you're not training about Revit and practice at the same time, you're not training. You're just teaching somebody how to yes. push buttons. So like when I'm teaching the Revit wall tool, that's also when I'm teaching about visibility graphics and filters because finishes get treated separately from backup walls. But that's also when we have to talk about wall types and that's yeah. partition types and that's UL assemblies and that's how do you manage your fire ratings and that's, hey, do you know why some walls can be fire rated and some walls can't? Like you have to be training about practice at the same time or you're going to eventually fail. High five. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the absolute way to do it. So it, uh, we teach at school, too. And, and basically, instead of starting out the box like a lot of professors, Absolutely. We, we give them our firm resources. Exactly. So exactly. It, it's when other professors come, it's an instant leg up because they have everything they need. Yeah. It's not on the same level of what you do with, with a firm just because uh, telling a, a freshman or second-year student a UL rating, they probably go over their head the implications of, of that understood but it's probably worlds better than just like showing them some online videos and saying here's out of the box revit how it's meant to be used because what does anybody in school learn if you tell them here is generic six inch wall like no it's terrible <clears throat> yeah it's terrible yeah, it's not a good way to learn so what do you um what do you offer then for 
Let's so, say, because a lot of architecture firms listen, um, and, and maybe some people transition. Yeah, absolutely. So I joke about us being a jack of all trades because we go basically anywhere we need to go to make an office better with practice technology. And I explain it like that because, so yes, one thing we offer is project templates. Another thing that we offer is content libraries. But then we start getting into, there's a lot of third-party add-ins that can actually make architects and engineers much more productive. And where that immediately goes is if your IT department isn't savvy enough to properly install and deploy all these tools, your staff is automatically set up to fail. So even though it's not the sexiest or most enjoyable work, uh, for a lot of our clients, we actually come in and handle the software deployment month to month and year to year for them. Because we can guarantee every architectural workstation is identical, content browsers are there, libraries are visible, add-ins are there, Dynamo's up to date, packages are up to date every single day. That's yeah. something that we actually do. Um, and sometimes we also, even before any of that, uh, we do what's called, you know, office, uh, you know, basically health audits for BIM implementation. I go into some offices and I spend two or three days just meeting with staff and taking notes and reviewing their implementation. And then I go back to my office and I write them a large report. And it's honestly, you know, it's not a biased report. I don't want to go tell every office they need doors because I sell doors. Um, I've gone into some offices and their content absolutely slays. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I tell them, you don't need content from me. Hey, your staff could use some help right here. And, and you know, sometimes it's personality things. Sometimes it's, oh my gosh, your architecture staff really wants to kick some butt. Your IT staff is holding them back. You know, and that's a, that's a common conversation. So I call us jack of all trades because we'll really go anywhere we need to to make firms more efficient. Yeah, is, uh, do you mainly, is part of your business structure to physically go? Because I feel like that's different than what maybe some other people are offering. Um, yeah, so it depends on the kind of on the kind of work that we're doing. Um, when we're building content or customizing content or building templates, we can do that from our location. When offices yeah. want us to come in and do an audit, then it's completely up to them. We can only audit from our location templates and files and things that are sent to us. To do a good audit, you have to be on site. I feel like that's vital because you can't get the temperature of what's going on in an office unless you're there. So to do those audits, and I, I typically start at like two days because if you're not there for two days, you're not getting the pulse. But I'll tell people, yeah, for two to five days, I'll go to their office and actually meet with them on their turf, uh, so to speak. Yeah. You know, and what, we, what I like to do is really interesting because aside from meeting with the BIM manager and meeting with the IT staff and the principals, then we'll pull in project teams where it's just the project teams and me. BIM managers aren't allowed in, principals nice. aren't allowed in, and I'll tell the teams, I'm not writing down your names, I wanna know what you think is awesome, and I wanna know what you think sucks, and I want you to be honest because your names aren't getting associated with it. And I also tell them, Revit's not my mom, your bosses aren't my parents, like none of this is personal. If you wanna complain about the software, I wanna hear it because we can't fix it if we don't know what's wrong. Right, and that's another reason why it's good to be here is because uh, Autodesk, you, Autodesk is listening. They have stations set up, um, so that feedback matters because obviously they, they want to keep selling you product. Absolutely, and you know a lot of people don't know this, but I mean after 12 years of working with Revit, um, I have a lot of a lot of channels to contact Autodesk, and they really do want feedback. Um, a lot of us just misappropriate where the feedback goes, right? So. We, tend, we typically get handled through channels and through resellers, so we think that if we're complaining to our reseller, like the developers of Revit are getting that feedback. And I actually speak to a lot of the developers directly, and they love customer feedback. Like, developers want to be sitting there with the architect who's mad about stairs and railings. Yeah, it's sometimes facilitating, absolutely. It's facilitating that connection. And what's funny is people who know me or have known me for years know I'm not exactly 
you know, I don't sugarcoat things. But even I've had to learn over the years, like, there is a certain way we have to deliver the feedback. If, yeah. we, just, if we just rock into a meeting like, Revit stairs, blow, rah, like, okay, nothing productive is coming out of this meeting because yep. that person's defensive now, right? Yep. So, and um, then you don't want to, if, if someone doesn't appreciate what you're doing, and it doesn't have to be Revit, it could be any, absolutely any, anything. anything. Like, you, you don't have, you don't want to help them, you know? Absolutely, um, but when, absolutely. But on the other hand, they do they do want feedback because you, absolutely they, they everyone loves when your product you know you get a good uh, review. Of, hey, I love your uh, assemblies, your shower assemblies, or something absolutely. like that. Absolutely, yeah, feels great. So. And and what's funny is where Autodesk needs the feedback and where architects and engineers can work to like get their voices more heard. It's in the places people don't realize it is. Every time Revit crashes, a dialog box pops up on your screen and says, "Would you like to fill out comments here?" I actually know the woman who gets every one of those reports. Yeah. And you'd be amazed. Like th There was one day when I filled in a report for what happened, and then two days later I was driving to the airport. And this woman, her name is Anna, and she's one of the smartest people I've ever met. She started emailing me at like 5.30 in the morning while I drove to the airport. And she's like, I need this particular f family off your server if you have a few minutes. And I was like, I wonder what this is about. And she's like, two days ago, your Revit crashed and you filled out this crash report. And I've gone through all the data that was submitted in that crash report and it's tied to this family. And if I can look at this family, we can probably submit a bug fix and, and change the next version of Revit so this crash stops happening. Interesting. And, and that's a silly yeah, yeah. thing. And, and now that's a crash, but even right. the feedback on like, oh my God, the stairs and railings are bad. There's like the inside, uh, inside the factory, uh, it's, it's an event you can sign up for to get on a list. Yep. And they bring you to Autodesk and they have you test the new version early. Yep. And like that that channel and the beta forums, which I, I forget, but I think it's just beta.autodesk.com. And if you get on those, like there are opportunities to test. It's just after you download the version of Revit and you try it and you don't like it, like that ship has sailed, right? Yeah. So So um what the two part question. What are you excited about that, that you've made or created that you've gotten positive feedback or, or you particularly like? And then second part, what are you excited about about making into the future? What opportunities do you see or something where maybe you haven't even discussed it, but it, it's something that's been mulling in the back of your head that you'd like to do? Absolutely. So the first part of the question, what I've been the most excited about in my whole career is I'm a standards junkie. So every library we have and the template that we have, everything is based on one common set of standards. All of our stuff works the same way. That was only mildly exciting to me until John Pearson came on board at Parallax. But now what he does with Dynamo and automating through data exchanges, the fact that all of our systems are perfectly standardized, what he can do with Dynamo is now even more powerful because everything of ours works exactly the same way. So he's able to automate to an even greater level than I ever thought would be possible with what I was building, uh, which is super fascinating. Going towards the future, um, John's also started building apps now. And similarly, his apps can do more because we're structured in the way our models go together. A lot of architects like to tell me, ah, in the 11th hour, every project will become a mess and every project will get all these workarounds done. And we've actually managed to prove that that's not the case because of how our standardized processes work. And then for John to be able to come back on the back end and extract all that data from it uh, is amazing. Yeah. Uh, just to give you an example, we work with a lot of general contractors now. One day I'm sitting in a trailer and a general contractor's talking about how he's about to give two interns highlighters and they have to go find every door that's in a concrete wall in the project because they have to price out and review specs differently than metal framed walls. That was 
15 minutes for John and Dynamo and then clicking one button. And because of our confidence in how our model was built and what John did in that app and in Dynamo, it was done. Yep. And we could guarantee it was correct. That's awesome, that's awesome. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can get a hold of me on Twitter. Uh, it's kind of a mouthful. It's at twice roads fool or uh, through email, of course. Uh, it's Aaron Maller at parallaxteam.com, all of which is difficult to spell. <laughs> um, and, uh, Google it, people. And through our website, www.parallaxteam.com, there's a contact form there. comes to both me and John. Okay. Anything else you want to leave the audience with? Um, if you were at Autodesk University this week, I hope you had a great time. If you weren't here, uh, I would try to get here uh, next year. Cool. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Uh, it was really fun. These interviews were conducted at Autodesk U. They, they were awesome. You need to go to Autodesk U next year if you haven't. Um, so th thanks for all those guys for stopping by. Again, a couple of reminders. Go to Enscape3D.com. Go to BimSmith.com. Um, if you're listening to this right before Christmas and you want a Christmas present, you're going to be late. But you should get the creativity code on Amazon um, or get that. That's our book or get yourself a present and learn Revit. If you haven't learned Revit, go to RevitRocketShip.com. You can hear my sweet, sweet voice. You can even see my face sometimes and you get uh, training, you get tutorials, you get a template. Um, it, it, it's really good stuff. If you don't like it, let me know. I'll refund your money. Um, but that's it. If you're listening to this around Christmas, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, Happy Holidays, all that. And see you maybe not next week, but the week after. All right. Bye-bye.